Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. I introduce to you today Penn State Assistant Professor of Poultry Science and the Vernon E. Norris Faculty Fellow of Poultry Nutrition, John Boney. John, let's get started with our discussion today with a little information on your background and what you have done in your career path so far. Sure. So grew up in Southeast Ohio on a small family farm, left and went to West Virginia University and studied animal and nutritional sciences, pursued a master's and a PhD also at West Virginia University, working primarily in poultry nutrition and feed manufacturing. And then I started at Penn State in 2018. I have an extension and a teaching appointment. So I work with our commercial poultry producers in Pennsylvania, and I teach students in the animal science department who are going through the animal science major. John, once again, thank you for joining me on the show here today and sharing your expertise. With Thanksgiving and the holidays here, I thought it was fitting to talk about poultry, both chickens and, of course, turkeys. How robust is the U.S. poultry industry right now? It is an incredible industry. Uh, I will say that it is poultry and poultry meat are the preferred protein in the U.S., right? When you look at the per capita consumption of different proteins, poultry is in the lead. So people are consuming over 100 pounds of poultry products a year. So it is rather robust. We process over nine and a half billion broiler chickens a year uh, and over uh, around 210 to 220 million turkeys in a year here in the United States. John, what are the factors that contribute to making the poultry industry so robust? I think the industry has done a great job at making the product accessible. If you go back and you look at how things changed and look at when this growth really started occurring, it aligns closely with when both people in the household started working, you know, so no longer are we in a society where the mother stays home and raises the children. A lot of the times we have two folks in the household working. So poultry products have been developed so that they're convenient. It's a healthy choice, right? It's a high protein, low calorie source of protein. So folks do like that. And you can buy this stuff in the store that's already breaded and already seasoned. Did you pop it in the oven and 10 minutes later, you're feeding your family. So a lot of that has driven the increased consumption. I'm glad you brought that up, John, because oftentimes, especially when we think about being healthy and being on some sort of a health journey, poultry is often brought up by nutritionists as being a good source of low fat protein. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, We hear that a lot. It tends to be, can be a preferred protein whenever you talk to the dietitians. And that's, uh, you know, I go back to my background and I grew up on a beef cattle farm. So I don't want to throw shade at other animal industries. I think there are healthy ways to consume those proteins as well. But certainly with how the chicken deposits fat compared to other animals where you don't see marbling in a chicken breast, right? The fat is deposited outside of that muscle protein. So we are able to provide a high quality protein source without that fat and the lower calorie. With it being November and Thanksgiving here, we often think about eating Thanksgiving turkey. But I wanted to ask you, when it comes to turkey, is it consumed year-round or is it more of a seasonal product? So if you look at protein consumption trends, turkey consumption has been very steady. 
between 15.6 and 16.2 pounds per person per year for the past 10 or 12 years. So it's pretty consistent. And yes, we do see a majority of people associating turkey consumption with Thanksgiving. The rest of the year, we see folks consuming lunch meats. We see turkey being added in restaurants as options. And in turkey burgers and those types of products are becoming more popular. But still, if you look across the board on a per capita basis, we're pretty consistent. When it comes to raising and producing poultry, what are some of the advancements that you have seen in the industry, John? The industry is incredibly advanced. So I think I'll start with talking about controllers. We have these animals in houses or barns. And we can control every aspect of that environment. We can control temperature and we try to control humidity. We can control the light intensity. We can control just all of these different aspects of the barn. And so with that, we can keep animal welfare in mind and we can keep the animals happy and healthy so that they're able to perform for us. So just looking specifically at some of the advancements, we now have these ventilation systems that we can convert from a cross ventilation to a tunnel ventilation system that can be quite advanced. And we don't have time to get into all of that today, but this is how we're able to grow chickens in houses year round, even when it's hot. We have access to evaporative cooling cells, which allows us to drop the temperature in the barn 10 to 15 degrees below that of the outside temperature, just with some of the modern advancements. So oftentimes uh, in the summer months when it's very hot outside, the most comfortable place to be may be in the chicken house. Very interesting. Okay. What kind of research and development is being worked on for the industry right now? There are billions of dollars that go into research for poultry specifically across the globe every year. When we go to our national meetings, we hear a lot about advancements in nutrition, so different feed additives, different feed ingredients that we can use to grow these birds efficiently. We are learning more about the animal welfare component and learning how to keep the bird's welfare in mind and incorporate that into our production models. And so there's a lot of welfare research going on. You can also see research in the design of the barns. We're looking at smart barns using artificial intelligence to help us understand maybe weather patterns when the barn could become hot or cold and changing the way we manage those barns earlier being more proactive rather than reactive. There's a lot of research on that right now. John, if I may, could you talk a little bit more about what the terminology is in the poultry industry, since this is also an educational podcast? What do you mean by pullets? What do you mean by flocks? Some of those different terms? Sure. So when we think of broiler chickens, these are meat producing chickens. So when you go to KFC or McDonald's, or Chick-fil-A and you buy that chicken sandwich, that has been produced on a broiler chicken. So we have flocks of broilers that are used predominantly or solely for raising and producing meat. Uh, We have broiler breeder flocks, and these are the parent flocks. So these birds are raised in a barn with both males and females that mate naturally, and their objective is to produce fertile eggs. 
So they produce fertile eggs. Those eggs move to a hatchery, and the chicks that are hatched then go to those broiler flocks. And then we have turkeys that are raised in a very similar manner. We have turkey breeder flocks producing the fertile eggs, going to the turkey production flocks that, that produce turkey meat. And then we have pullet flocks. So a pullet is an immature female chicken. We grow these chickens that will be developed into egg layers, right? So we have flocks of just pullets where our goal is to take them from that baby chick up into a sexually mature hen that is now ready to lay eggs. And then we move those into a facility that is designed for egg laying. So the facility is able to easily collect those eggs and take the eggs in one direction out of the house and the manure in an opposite direction out of the house uh, and maintain a really nice and favorable environment. John, can you take a few moments and speak to the highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak and the enormous effect that has had on the U.S. poultry industry? Yeah, it's a terrible disease. The animals that do catch avian influenza they will die. Uh, and that's really unfortunate. We have to do our best to prevent the introduction of avian influenza into our flocks. But in 2022 and through 2023, we're looking at 65 million animals in the United States impacted by avian influenza. So it is significant. It has created some real challenges. And when we think about the animals that it's affecting in this specific outbreak, it has tended to impact our longer-lived birds more so than our younger birds. So the broiler industry has been less impacted with this specific outbreak than, say, the turkey industry or the egg-laying industry. And that's just unique to this specific strain of the virus. But nonetheless, across all poultry species, there have been outbreaks of avian influenza. Now, our producers have learned a ton and they have implemented biosecurity plans. Not that they weren't before, they were, but we learned a lot about how the virus can be introduced and we have enhanced our biosecurity efforts to continue doing a great job at preventing the introduction of the virus into flocks. Will it ever go away, John? So the challenge with avian influenza is this can be harbored in migratory waterfowl. What we will see is it will mutate to a different subtype of the virus becoming either non-pathogenic or more low pathogenic strain of the virus. So we don't think it'll ever go away. We do think that we'll move out of our current outbreak with a genetic mutation of the virus. Hopefully that happens sooner rather than later, but you can assume that in some time in the future, we'll have another outbreak, a different strain of this virus. And that's just because it's harbored in these migratory waterfowl. What does the slaughter capacity look like? The processing capacity, is there enough right now or how is that faring? So I'll go back to in the intro, we talked about over nine and a half billion broiler chickens processed in the U.S., so with that in mind, that tells you that we have an incredible capacity here in the U.S. It depends on what state you're in. Some states are looking at expanding or building new processing facilities. We've heard of a few shutting down in certain states. So at the end of the day, our the existing capacity is sufficient for the birds that we're producing. As we continue to feed more and more people, 
uh, will either have to become more efficient with the existing processing facilities or increase capacity by building new facilities. So I think that's where we are. As we're talking about processing, I can't help but think about labor issues that some in the ag industry are experiencing. Is the poultry industry also experiencing labor issues? There sure are. So labor industries continue to be a challenge. Really, when we look at where the most bodies are needed, it is in that processing facility. That's where we have the the most number of people employed in these large companies. So there are a couple paths forward. We continue to see automation, more automated processing facilities requiring fewer people on the line still requires people to be there and be employed to service the the equipment, but that's one path forward. And the other path forward is continued training and trying to give folks the tools they need and a sense of belonging in the industry because they have these really unique skills to keep them engaged and wanting to work in our industry. When you talk to producers, what are things that they are asking you? What are things they're wanting to know and work on? So, Producers are always, if you think about what the producer has at stake, the flock is their livelihood, right? That is their means of income. So they're always interested in the animal welfare component. How can we provide the best environment for these birds to grow efficiently and have a higher livability? You know, we, And that's really what they're after. So a lot of the questions revolve around animal health. So we have poultry veterinarians that work for these integrated companies. And then we also have poultry veterinarians that work for universities like Penn State that are resources to these producers. But many of their questions are around the health of the animal. Other questions that we get, those that are interested in either building new facilities or retrofitting older facilities with this modern equipment and technology, and they're really curious on which equipment's going to give the best return on investment, which equipment is going to allow them to more effectively manage their flock so that at the end of the day, they are more profitable. John, in that same realm, you mentioned the beef industry, and I know the beef industry has the Beef Quality Assurance Program. Does the poultry industry have a similar program? Yeah, there are a lot of quality assurance programs, especially on the table egg production side through the FDA and also through individual states. They'll have their own egg quality assurance programs. And that is to ensure that we are producing eggs that are free of salmonella enteritis because we do not want to pass that on to the consumer. And I'll say with a great deal of confidence, the eggs that people are consuming these days are coming from salmonella-free flocks. You do see once in a while the recalls but we do have these quality assurance programs that are very robust so that if there is an outbreak, we can easily identify the eggs that came from that flock and call them back and maintain the safety of the consumer. So at the end of the day, we have an incredibly safe and secure food supply here in the U.S., and the poultry producers are doing a great job to contribute to that. And John, I don't know if you have these numbers, but what would you say is the average size flock for both chickens and then the average size flock for turkeys in the United States? I don't have a good average. And that's just because each individual farm 
functions differently. And I think when we get to the vertical integration question, we can build out on this and get a better understanding of why the flock size varies widely within the broiler industry and within the turkey industry. I mean, it's really dependent on the producer. And where are most of the poultry flocks located in the United States? Uh, We see a lot of our broiler producers in the southeast part of the country. When we think about the leading producers, we think of Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi. Those states are large producers of broiler chickens. When we think of eggs, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, those are large producers of eggs as well. On the turkey side, we see Minnesota, North Carolina, South Dakota, Pennsylvania. Those states are are large producers of turkeys in the United States as well. John, when it comes to animal welfare, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with regard to best management practices? You know, what I think about animal welfare is when you go to the, the store and you are purchasing products, look at the labeling. Many of these products have very specific labels for programs that have welfare requirements. So with that in mind, know that if you see these birds were produced under the Global Animal Partnership or GAP standards, do know that there are very, very specific animal welfare requirements involved in that program and know that each of those farms that are growing birds under those requirements are audited. Independent auditors come in and audit these farms to ensure that the producer is following all of the animal welfare requirements within that given production system. Now, I just used GAP as one example. There there are plenty of others with certified humane. I won't list them all. There are several. But do know that a majority of the animals in production in the U.S. are grown under some type of label that has pretty strict animal welfare requirements and that they're being audited to ensure that animal welfare is at the highest that it can be. Oftentimes we hear vertical integration when we're talking about the poultry industry. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so vertical integration is really the key to the success in the poultry industry. And vertical integration is where there is one large parent company or umbrella company that's going to own all aspects of the production system. So they will own the hatchery. They will own the breeder flocks. They will own the feed mill and they'll own the processing plant. And oftentimes they'll own some type of store that distributes these products. So you have one company that owns all of this. And so instead of having each individual component of the system trying to generate profits, you just have this one larger company that is focused on the profits. So it's a way to keep the cost as low as possible. In the individual farmer that has chickens in a house, 95% of those barns that you see are owned by family farms, right? So nearly all of our birds in the U.S. are grown on these small family farms. So these folks will build barns, then they will engage in a contract with an integrator, right? So the integrator will send these producers that have a signed contract with them birds, and they will send them feed, and they will send them the technical support that they need to ensure that the animal welfare is being followed, that the birds are being grown 
as efficiently as possible. If there happens to be a health challenge, the integrator also provides a veterinarian to come out and look at the flock. Once the flock has reached the market weight or on the meat bird side or produced all of the eggs on the the egg layer side, they will send a crew in to catch the animals and put them on trailers and send them to the processing facility. So it's a great way for the integrator to have a lot of input on how their animals are raised following, you know, the certain standards that they require, but they don't have to have all of the infrastructure, all of the barns uh, and the people to manage those barns. They can rely on the family farmer for that. So that is, in essence, vertical integration. And John, what are some suggested management tips for poultry operations? So poultry producers get a lot of the advice from flock supervisors, service technicians, et cetera. And I often work with those service technicians. Things that we specifically that I am working on management tips are making sure that we are communicating well. It's easy to get lost in the loop if we don't have good communication. So I'm encouraging the service technicians to communicate with the producers, understand the challenges that they have, and then for the flock supervisors or service technicians to take that back to upper management. And that lets everyone in the system understand the challenges from top to bottom in the organization. And that helps keep companies moving forward in the right direction. Myself specifically, working with feed and with nutrition, we're looking at feed quality. So taking samples in the right place at the right time and getting that back to the quality control lab at the feed mill to ensure that the birds are getting the feed and the nutrients they need at this certain age, specific phase of production. And that's just a a good quality control mechanism to get the most out of the birds. Uh, It helps the producer be more profitable and it helps the integrator be more profitable. Other management tips, working with folks to really understand their ventilation systems uh, and understanding ventilation when it's really cold outside and opposite understanding ventilation systems when it's really hot outside. You know, understanding how to control that environment in these extremes can really make or break the profitability of a flock. John, what are some common mistakes that producers make? I'm not going to highlight any mistakes because I think that they have constant communication with their service technicians to address those before they become big problems. Simple things that I often preach to folks on is warming up the house prior to the baby chicks coming. We like to see the heaters turned on at least two days before the birds will arrive. And there is an expense, the propane expense associated with heating the house early. Many of them do a a fabulous job at this, but that's one thing that I would encourage folks to really ensure that they're doing because that can let the baby chicks or poults get off to a, a quick start. John, do you have any information you could share with regard to imports and exports of U.S. poultry products? I don't have specifics. Do know that we are exporting a great deal of products across the globe. And what's really interesting, things that used to be rendered, you know, things that didn't have a lot of value, suddenly become incredibly valuable. So one thing is chicken paws or chicken feet. We used to send that to rendering. That is now being exported and sent 
to many Asian countries who are paying a considerable amount for these. So by weight, they are becoming one of the more profitable parts of the bird. So do know that the, the demands across the globe change and we try to satisfy those. John, is there anything else you would like to mention or talk about here today? Yeah, I want to go back to some of the challenges that producers face. As everyone is experiencing this, input costs continue to increase, and that's going to change the ability for these producers to make money. So when propane costs shoot up through the roof, it's going to become even more expensive for producers to heat those houses early and provide this optimal environment. Oftentimes, the integrator provides some support for those producers to ensure that they have economic means to provide this ideal environment. And then the other thing that I think is a bigger problem is urban sprawl, right? So we are now on this rural-urban interface, and we have existing farms and farmland that as these communities grow, we have more and more folks building residential homes near these chicken houses. And just with any animal that you are farming, there are smells, there are sounds, there are trucks moving in and out. And oftentimes folks in residential areas don't really consider this before buying or building a house near a chicken house. And it's one of the challenges that we really face. We often get back to the Right to Farm Act and Sometimes the producer wins and sometimes the producer loses. And it's, it's a real challenge for these folks as they are trying to continue to provide food to a growing population. John, that will conclude our show here today. Once again, thank you to Penn State Assistant Professor of Poultry Science and the Vernon E. Norris Faculty Fellow of Poultry Nutrition, John Boney. And thank you everyone for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Lori Boyer.